Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. If you have not yet registered for the Helpful Marriage Conference, you need to register soon. The conference will be held in Indianapolis on March 4th and 5th, but early bird registration will end on January 31st. So you want to register now before the price goes up. Go to helpfulmarriage.com and register today. All right. Today, we continue our conversation about teenagers. If you want to disciple your teenagers to love Jesus Christ, you have to train your girls to be women and your boys to be men. In other words, to live out our God-given sexuality is Christian discipleship. And yes, you will be persecuted for teaching biblical sexuality to your children, and they, if they choose to pick up their cross and follow Jesus, will be persecuted for living it. But we can't talk about raising teenagers without talking about teaching them to submit to God in regard to their sexuality. So that's what we talk about today. My guests for today's episode are Max Carell and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. All right. Welcome, gentlemen. It's good to have good to be back in the studio with you guys. Hi, Max. How are you today? Doing well. Hello. Did you have a good break? Very nice. Very nice break. Good time. Christmas was great. How much fudge did your family make over Christmas break? We started before Thanksgiving, and I think we made 45 pounds of fudge. And, <laughs> and I think there's one... There's one 40-gram piece of fudge left in uh, the refrigerator. So you tell me you're... you're okay, I, I was going to be facetious, but we, I... We I, did give a lot of it. Yeah, away. I was going to say, I, I was the, the happy beneficiary of that some of that fudge anyway. I think I got two, two, so two batches was, of it. So was I the happy beneficiary. <laughs> uh, so Tim, how you doing? Very good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you, you're still up in Michigan. What are you working on? State secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So what I've been working on is things having to do with the church on the phone okay. this morning, mostly. Yeah. And uh, I've been doing some writing, but I'm not prepared to talk about it. <laughs> well, good. That's good. I uh, I hope it's I hope it's a good time. You plan to stay up there through? I guess you're preaching on Sunday, right? So you're going to be back. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Lord. So I'll be back in the next couple of days. Okay, very good. And there's snow on the ground, which we didn't have during Christmas, which all of the grandchildren were exceedingly distraught and disappointed about. <laughs> so today, uh, I'd like to to keep on on our discussion about teenagers. I think we've had some really good episodes discussions about about teenagers, but today. I wanted to focus on the differences between raising boys and raising girls. Now, I think out of the gate, we have to begin by acknowledging that we have committed a thought crime by even raising the point. You know, you can, you can kind of hear the responses that people might make. You know, how dare you? Why would you think that there is a difference between raising boys and raising girls? People are just people, you know, teenagers are just people. And so... My first question is, what would you say to that, uh, first of all, to someone with that kind of a response? What would you say to someone who would be inclined to upbraid you for assuming that there's a, there are differences between raising boys and raising girls? 
Well, I think one thing you would say to them, well, you might not say it to them, but what you ought to be thinking, because what they're actually saying to you is that there's no differences between men and women. Right. And what you ought to be thinking is you are in, you're a fool in dangerous water and your, your thoughts are destructive for you and they're destructive for the people around you. And if your thoughts are translating into your actions, then you are uh, causing destruction to the people around you. You're probably causing destruction to your own children if you have them, because the idea of men and women being the same is just ludicrous. And the idea of how you, how you help uh, young men and young women to grow to adulthood, uh, how you could possibly do that and try to contravene their own biology and the way God made them is crazy. It's ludicrous. You know, it used to be that all roads led to Rome. In the Western world today, all roads lead to sex. Okay. And yet what the world means by sex is that God does not give you your sex, but that your sex is acquired through a, a socialization process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that typically older people and especially Christians are Neanderthals on the issue because they want to make too much out of the sex God made us. The world thinks of it as a continuum and that creativity, let alone personhood, <laughs> uh, flows from uh, not pressing anybody into a mold and not forcing an identity which is contrary to the inner yearnings, the creative urges, the aesthetics, the gay aesthetic, the, that each person is some mixture of male and female. I'm not sure that they would say that every uh, distinction is illegitimate, but I would say that any pressing of maleness or femaleness, of femininity and masculinity, of man and woman on an individual that puts them in a position of feeling the need to please people by moving towards the direction of their body parts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Is an invalidation of the glorious diversity of mother earth and her, her creatures. In other words, nobody's going to cop to saying that male and female is the same. What they're going to cop to is that each person is unique and that part of the essential nature of their uniqueness as an individual is where on the continuum of masculinity to femininity, each of their attributes of their gifts of their expressions stands hmm. and so for instance you know you may like to dress this way but you may like to do your hair this way but you may like to speak this way but you may like these sorts of 
body movements accompanying gestures accompanying uh, your your communication uh, you may like opera you may like headbanger arena rock you may like screamo emo uh, you may like uh, you know Greta Garbo you may like uh, but it's all down to basic in other words everything is muddied mm-hmm. and really Christians are no different than worldlings, pagans, unbelievers in buying into the notion that a parent, a father or mother who directs their child to make the most of the manhood and womanhood that God decreed for them at the moment of their conception. It's the most fundamental aspect of their personhood. Yeah that that person is oppressing their child and that they can't wait until they get them in school or failing school. If it's homeschool or classical Christian school, at least they get them into college and they can begin to bust that child loose so that that child becoming a man, becoming a woman becomes an integrated person with the various manifestations of femininity and masculinity that express the deeper urges <laughs> you know of I mean, that individual on and on and on and on and on and so when people respond to us saying all right how do we teach our teenagers to be what who god made them which is man or woman yeah so three things immediately they turn off because they're like no we're not going to do that. We're not going to create a stereotypical Kenner doll, Barbie doll. Because it's all comes down to the individual's personal preferences and personal self-expression. Is that- yeah, and nothing has been defended more as a deeply personal choice. Than sex. Than the expression of sex. Mm-hmm. And so often I have found that the only way to get Christians to begin to think in terms of our sex, male or female, being an assignment of God that we must obey is by talking about body parts. I mean, honestly, anything other than body parts, the the squirrely nature of Christians today who have just completely allowed their, their thinking to be pressed into the mold of the world, which is completely muddy about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so you start talking about body parts and immediately everybody's like, Oh, well now I didn't know we were going there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, because you talk about body parts and all of a sudden nothing is hypothetical. It's just very sort of, uh, <clears throat> uh, organic, shall we say physiological, yeah. shall we say, <laughs> uncomfortable okay just to, just to recap for a second when i asked the question initially what would you how would you respond to someone who is inclined to upbraid you for assuming that there's a difference between raising a boy and a raising a girl teenager mm-hmm. uh, max's response and i think yours also was essentially well they're going to end up in different places one of them is going to be a man and one of them is going to be a woman and if you don't start there, nothing else that we say is going to make sense. But then what you're saying additionally, Tim, is that, you know, when you're talking to someone like this, you, you ultimately, generally speaking, end up needing to talk about body parts, anatomy, 
because why? Because it's the most concrete thing. Yeah, but I don't like you saying that ultimately they're, they're going, going to be a man up. or a woman. I yeah. mean, that's true. They and it is way. true that in the teenage years, the inevitability of 95 to 98% of the population of the world loving a man if they're a woman and loving a woman if they're a man, mm. okay? Yeah. I mean, yep. it's still what happens, although it is true that the growth in people who are uh, what I would say is some would say gender dysphoria, I would say sexual dysphoria, you know, ambivalent about their body parts. It's grown. Yeah. So, all right, let's put it at 95% because that would represent a significant growth, maybe 100% growth in the last 20 years of how many people think it's cool to be gay and think they're gay. Yeah. Although it is interesting that the secular scientists, uh, who study this stuff will tell you that that a huge percentage of those who in their late teenage years and early teenage years say I'm gay or say they have gender dysphoria, they're bisexual, whatever it is, uh, will end up manifesting themselves as the sex that their bodies are by the time they're in their young 20s. Hmm. So let's keep that in mind because people are going to be listening who have a daughter who says she's gay and this is how she's getting it. Her parents are bi yep. and a son who's transitioning, but let's not sacrifice the normal on the altar of the abnormal. That's a modern morbid habit. I'm quoting someone. It doesn't matter who I'm quoting, yep. but we, we, we must return. So you said, well, you know, sooner or later, you know, pretty soon, you know, eventually. And I say, no, the problem is from the beginning, we are male and female mm. and parents in the teenage years have often failed to train their child to be a man that God made him or the woman that God made her. And so in the teenage years, all of a sudden it's, you know, it's in your face. Yeah, It's very important that from the time children are young, they're prepared for what 95 to 98 percent of them are going to do which is to love a man if they're a woman to love a woman if they're a man and then to desire to have children mm. and then to raise children to nurse children to diaper children to teach children mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating because you know we get college students coming to bloomington to iu and they've often grown up in christian homes but they've been taught that you know what they really need to do as a girl is to get a degree that is going to earn them a good living and give them job security and honestly to make them immune to the effeminacy of the modern Christian male who will keep looking at pornography after they get married, who will, as she gets older, look at younger flesh, who will divorce her. And so really the goal that we have seen commonly among Christians, I don't care what stripe they are, Mm -hmm. is that as their children mature in the later teenage years, they try to get their girls to be hard and disciplined and valuable to society in such a way that, they're, that they are not susceptible, that they, they are not vulnerable to the failure of any man that they get involved with, okay? Mm-hmm, and that's how thoroughly the world has pressed us into its mold and muddied what God made each of us, which is male and female. 
Well, it's interesting that you go there immediately because my follow-up question to teasing out our response to that initial question was going to be, okay, but you know, we don't expect this kind of response uh, on the part of the people that would attend our church, would we? And I think you've already answered that question. We, are, we have been so pressed, even the most conservative groups in our country, uh, conservative Christian groups in our country, want their women to act like men. At the very least, they depreciate anything that would be understood as traditionally the way a woman would act or posture herself as feminine. Okay. They would, they wouldn't, that's not what they would affirm at all. So even in Christian schools, yep. the, the presentation in Christian high schools isn't, uh, here are some options for your future. You can be uh, go to college and become a doctor, or you can be go to college and become a homemaker and raise children, or you can not go to college and become a worker in a factory, or you can not go to college and become a homemaker in a home mm-hmm. with, and raise children. Mm-hmm. And But you wouldn't ever find that as an option, I'd say. Maybe it exists somewhere, but it's certainly the exception. Very much the exception. You, you wouldn't yeah. find that at a Christian high school. What's going to happen with most of those young women mm-hmm. who are at that Christian high school? Are most of them going to be doctors? Are they may A majority may go to college, more going to college than men now. Yeah, yeah. But even if a majority goes to college, are they going to more likely be pursuing a career or are they going to likely, at least along with a career, going to be raising children? Yeah. It's the answer is obvious, but they don't aff- they're not affirmed in that reality. They're not affirmed in the reality that they're likely to be raising children. Yeah, and yeah. so what they get is a mixed message and they get chaos. You know, you were talking about about uh, earlier about us raising our children to become male or to become female to to affirm in them their male and female mm-hmm. as they're born male or female. And a lot of people think, no, what we're supposed to do, this is our culture, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to, we're supposed to present uh, something am- ambiguous to them, something, mm-hmm. that's, something that will allow them to have this, this ability to, uh, to choose Make their, their place on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to do anything more than that would be to mislead them and would be to would be direct them, them and, and constrain them. them. Yeah. And it's idiotic because the fact of the matter is ambiguity is abusive. Hmm. It's, it's incredibly abusive. How so? How so? Well, because you're never really ambiguous. What do you mean? About- <laughs> well, what you, you have two lesbians raising a boy. I saw a commercial for, for a uh, shampoo not too long ago. <laughs> oh, and you have two lesbians who've brother. adopted a boy yeah, yeah. and they've, and they're transitioning him. Well, where's the ambiguity? You, you follow what I'm saying? It's like they're from, from male to female. Well, they're transitioning him from male to female. Yes, but it's, it's, it's horrific. It's child abuse. But my point is it is child abuse and, and there's nothing ambiguous about it. The child was greatly affected toward the behavior and expectation of these Uh-oh. lesbians. In other words, what you're saying is that, that we're, we don't actually give our kids choices. But no, what but, we do is we put on them what what we expect, and if to expect something that is contrary to what God made them is abusive. We always have expectations. Parents always, always have expectations. It's always for their in the air. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. in the air. Yeah, I it's think just that's always true. there. Okay, but it's not expectations; it's aspirations. It may be the definition of parenting that it's aspirational. 
Every parent lives through his son and daughter. Yeah. Christians are teaching their children from a very young age that they want them to be acceptable, to be palatable, to fit in with the world. Mm. And that's the major discipleship of the Christian home today. Meanwhile, the world has become more androgynous, more muddy, more independent of sexuality, more willing to transition, more willing to give hormones, more willing to dress unisex, more willing to have sex as long as the daughter can complete her medical degree and her residency, wait to get married until they're ready to buy a home, mm-hmm. on and on. I mean, I can just show you all across the church today, we are aspirational in wanting our children to have both. They to be to have Christ and to have the world. Mm-hmm. And we are unwilling for our children to out us as born-again Christians who have gone through the process by the Holy Spirit's power of all things becoming new. We don't want our children to have to go through the process of conversion. Mm. We want them to learn how to stand halfway between Christ and the world. That's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want them to have everything. We want them to play soccer in high school if they're girls or if they're boys. We want to brag equally about our girls and boys playing soccer. We want our boys and girls equally to be disciplined in their class and in their schoolwork. When it comes to academics and when it comes to sports, oh, yeah, buddy, those are mainstream. And so we want them in a good college We want them to go someplace where they are taught by their professors when they go into higher education that they can have both things. They can have sports, they can have academics, they can have a good career, they can have a profession, and they can have Jesus. It's Amy Amy Comey Barrett, right? I mean, she's Supreme Court, she's got five kids or whatever. I mean, she's that's that's the example that a modern Christian evangelical is going to hold up. Yeah, Amy's a perfect example because she was raised in evangelical charismatic Roman Catholic ministry up in in the Notre Dame area. Fascinating what her background is. The whole movement she comes out of, originally Steve Clark, who did uh, Man is Male and Female, or Man and Woman in Christ, I'm sorry, that's Jewett. Um, That whole movement she comes out of is actually very committed to biblical sexuality, Hmm. intentionally committed. And so how do you have her you know, going to the Supreme Court. Well, the way you have it is the way you always have women doing both motherhood and profession, Mm. which is, you know, there's an old saying among farmers that a grazed woodlot is neither good grazing nor good woodlot. And some, you know, people might say, well, that's a bunch of baloney because, you know, she's on the Supreme Court. She's doing good law. And I say, okay, Maybe she's the exception that proves the rule, you know, do we have space for that? But we're just assuming that she does good motherhood. And I want to say this as intensely as I can. When I got married, I was a feminist, an egalitarian feminist, and so was my wife. Mm-hmm. We had all the patter down. We knew what the world wanted. We knew that we were superior to our parents, okay? Mm-hmm. And God did a work in Mary Lee's in my heart such that we realized that we were fools Mm. and that our conceit 
was actually the point of our nakedness and shame. We fought over who did anything. We, everything we did was conflict, you know, it was hidden, but it, you know, it doesn't matter that she's a woman. I'm a man. That doesn't matter. We're going to, you know, we're going to show the world that that's all stereotypical. It's generalizations. It's sexism. Yeah. All right. That that's who we were. Yep. And what I want to say is all of a sudden God made me look at my mother and my mother-in-law hmm. and I saw them all of a sudden in a completely different way than I had before, which was I saw two women who both were exceedingly bright mm -hmm. and gifted. Yep. Okay. And I saw that both of them had made a decision of Christian discipleship that their top priority was going to be helping their husband and mothering their children. Now, either that's Christian discipleship or that's stupidity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most Christians today think it's stupidity. They think you can have both. And so when my daughters began to get into teenage years, I've told the story before. I said to them, listen, if you want to, you can be a lawyer. You know, our daughter, Michael, going behind the bench of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, the head clerk to the chief justice, a lawyer was my cousin. He went to Wheaton and he got her invited to spend a week or two behind the bench with all the justices and their clerks. And as she left, I said to her, hey, Michael, listen to me. When you get out there, they're going to see how bright you are. You know, she was national merit. And I said, they're going to say to you that you should go to law school. They're going to see your gifting, but I want you to know if you go to law school, you may not be a mother. And oh, she looked at me and she's like, what? You know, I said, I told you, if you go to law school, you may not be a mother. So go ahead. If you want to go to law school and you want to become a Supreme Court justice as a woman, go ahead and do that. And she said, well, daddy, why can't I do both? I said, because the job of motherhood is incompatible with the profession of a justice. You will not do your motherhood in a way that pleases God if you're balancing being a lawyer. I know you can do it part-time, you know, you can you can work maybe 10 hours a week or something like that. You know, every woman, well, not every woman, lots of women have jobs outside the home. Yeah. But motherhood is something that should never be shared with a profession because motherhood and being a wife are a full-time calling ordained by God. That's why it says in Titus 2 that older women are to teach younger women to be, and the word is domestic, to be focused on the home. Mm. Now, this is completely contrary oh, to yeah. everything that is preached, everything that's written, yep. to all the glamour boys and girls of evangelicalism, reformed evangelicalism. But... I now have the joy of 30 grandchildren of extremely bright and competent, both daughters and daughters-in-law. You know them, Lucas. <laughs> I do. And they're raising children who love the Lord, and they're helping their husbands, and they're certainly not wallflowers. In other words, this does not render our daughters stupid. It's not stupefaction. It's not ignorance. It's not limiting them in any way. You know, Chesterton said this, 
and you can't do work. You can't do better than reading Chesterton on this. If you won't read scripture, which is from cover to cover saying what I'm saying. He said, everybody thinks that uh, being a mother is, is a limitation and that it's to, uh, you know, submit yourself to a very, very small place in the world with limited views and, and limited abilities to exercise your gifts and everything. And he said, what I really think is that a man spends his life limiting his views and his gifts nailing on soles of shoes to the last day after day, his whole life, mind-numbing repetition in his work yeah. so that his wife can be at home introducing her children to the universe. Yeah. He says, I won't pity a woman who is a mother because of the smallness of her world. I pity her because of the hugeness of her job and the importance of it. And I think that's what needs to be said to people raising teenagers now, that are you going to raise your daughter and your son to honor having children in marriage mm-hmm. and to living out their manhood and womanhood and to passing that on to the next generation? Or are you just going to continue to let the world press you into its mold and muddy up this glorious gift of manhood and womanhood that God gave us at the moment of our conception. You can't have it both ways. Either you love what God made each of your children, male and female, and you teach them to love it also and to live it without being worried about the world thinking that you're sexist or that you're Neanderthal, Mm -hmm. or you are going to be responsible for the suffering of your daughter and of your son. You're going to raise an effeminate son. You're going to raise a butch daughter. And she's going to make a name for herself by being able to whoop up on all the other attorneys when she does litigation and the prosecutor if she does defense. But then she won't get married till she's 35 and she won't have her first kid till she's 40. She won't be a Christian woman. Right. And I know people are going to have a fit. They're going to say, well, are you saying a woman has to be married and have children to be a woman? And I say, look, if your discipleship of your daughter and of your son doesn't start with them being man and woman. Hmm. What on earth are you discipling in them? I have watched this my whole life, and it's so sad. We have women coming to our church whose parents sent them to Indiana University. And when they come, their natural instincts as a woman to want to be married and to have children has been absolutely beaten out of them by their Christian school teachers, by the counselors, by their pastors, by the the elders' wives of their church, and then by their own parents. And again and again and again, what our church does is say to these women, you, you actually can honor God by desiring to be married and to have children. Mm. And the joy that comes into their lives and then the anger of their parents is something we've experienced for 25 years now. Yeah. Well, that brings into focus something, Tim, you said earlier about the discipleship program of the parents. And it is true. Parents need to have this as they need to have a biblical, godly uh, trajectory in the discipleship of their children. But the fact is they may find themselves in a church that has, that does not have that as a discipleship objective. And the fact is that the church itself should be 
leading in teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And what he has commanded is male and female. And it's fascinating because we talk about how the parents have to teach this to their children and how we have to train our children from their childhood right up through the time when they leave our homes. But Tim, you talked about the um, conversion of you and Mary Lee. And the fact of the matter is, how many parents are out there right now, perhaps they'll listen to this, how many parents are out there right now who need a conversion about accepting in themselves that God has made them male or that God has made them female? Mm. And they haven't had such a conversion, and they, they want to fight and, and say no to God in what he has called them to be because they're angry about this or they're angry about that or the sin in their lives or they're, they're just so worldly and so duped by the, the, uh, uh, the presentation that the world makes in these matters. Yeah. And so they're not going to want to teach their children to be male and female because they themselves aren't willing to be male and female. Or a common thing, I think, is the Christian evangelical mother who resents the fact that she didn't finish a degree or didn't go to med school or law school. And so maybe she did make the choice to have three, four kids now. Yeah, but that's not what she resents. What she resents is the fact that her husband is a lummox, uh -huh. that he hasn't a clue what his wife has given to him. Mm. He does not honor it. He does not celebrate it. He does not show his children that his wife is the bomb diggity to him, <laughs> that her stretch marks are his glory. Mm. You see, yep. and anyone married to an effeminate man who doesn't value, who doesn't love femininity, who doesn't love motherhood, who doesn't love nursing, of course she's going to be bitter. Mm -hmm. Well, so what I'm hearing, the purpose of this episode is to talk about the difference between raising boy teenagers and girl teenagers. So far, what it comes down to is we as parents, we have to love this distinction. We have to love that God made us male and female, and we have to glory in the work that we as men are called to do, to lead, to protect, and we have to show our children how much we delight in the work that our wives do and that she has given herself to bearing children and raising children. The attitude that you have as a parent in your home is going to absolutely set the tone just right there for how you raise your children. I think also they need to understand that by following Christ and by being obedient to God's word with their sexuality, mm -hmm. they are going to be going contrary to the world. And they need to understand and see that and not to be afraid, but have faith about it. Not be surprised that, that by be, it. Yep. That being a Christian it, with our sexuality is is probably ground zero. And that, uh, that that's going to manifest itself in such a way that they're going to be, from time to time, they're going to be hated and excluded and ridiculed and... And other times they'll be celebrated, but it'll be surprise. It'll be a surprise when they are celebrated, yeah, yeah. you know. But that they should see that, and they should they should glory in in the suffering mm. and in the persecution that comes with being associated to Christ at this very place. Mm. 
but glory meekly, not proud. <laughs> not this hackneyed uh, Christian. Yep, yep. Uh, Facebook posts about you know, how wonderful, w- wonderfully feminine it, I am. You know, this is yeah, this is really a dance because <laughs> if if your children see that you love womanhood, <laughs> femininity, you can very easily turn it into a cult, perverse romanticism. Yeah, it is the very ruination of femininity for a young woman to pursue femininity in a way that calls attention to herself for her superiority. Mm. I mean, <laughs> it's turning femininity upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, uh, John Calvin would say that's a violation of the seventh commandment because it's immodest. Mm. All right. And so we have to be very careful because sexuality is very powerful and it can be very powerful in being muddied by Western culture. It can be very powerfully negative by being hackneyed and stilted and moralistic in conservative reform communities. Okay. Mm. They're both wrong. Yeah. But I do want to say one other thing. It does actually need to be said that part of growing as a woman is falling in love with domesticity, falling in love with it, not parading it, but falling in love with it. And so one of the things that gives me greatest joy and has since I've been in high school is my wife being a seamstress sewing. She just loves to sew. She always has. Yeah. Well, now her, her granddaughters are coming over and she's making skirts and dresses and scarves and loving to cook, loving to sew. And for men, learning how to work on the lawnmower, learning how to work on the car, mm-hmm. learning that you actually do have to check the oil. And so there is manhood and womanhood that can be taught in the teenage years that is very important. Mm-hmm. But, you, but, but, but if you're just starting in the teenage years, you have to be careful because you're running against the grain of the mold they've been pressed into. And all those years, you didn't bother doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, okay, I, I do want to highlight one thing before we move on here that you said earlier that I think is really very important. There's going to be a temptation, especially when our daughters or we begin to feel pressure from the world or or even to have actual persecution uh, as a result of these dis- uh, obeying these distinctions to, to think, well, we can have it both ways. We can have it both ways. We can do both things. And I'm telling you, you see on the TV screen women having it both ways, but it's just TV. It's a fake. You have to get it out of your brain that you can have it both ways. And immediately, I know that people are going to come and maybe write to me or something and say, well, this person did or I did or something. And I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than I am convinced you can't have it both ways. And the proof will be in the pudding in terms of our families and their discipleship to, to, to Jesus Christ in the long term. Statistics show that women are putting off marriage later and later and holding out for a higher and higher caliber of husband, okay? Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that there is no change in the percent of women who are married by age 40, none. So it's not like they're not getting married. What's happening is they're postponing their womanhood 
as long as they possibly can until their heart aches for a child and they know they have only a couple more years left. And then all of a sudden, what, they're supposed to become a woman? You're supposed to, at 40, be able to be pregnant and raise a perfect child and have spent the previous, what, 20 years of being what? A woman? Well, a career, you know, having a career, presumably. Well, but my point is, we keep talking about not being able to have it both ways. And I want to keep driving it back to basic Christian conversion. Mm. When we become Christians, we take up our cross. We cannot be a Christian and refuse to carry the cross of femininity and masculinity, which God has commanded us. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. It is not a Christian life to try to be a Christian who is asexual or ambivalent or muddy Mm. or effeminate and butch or achieving for 20 years and then all of a sudden flip a switch because of our biological clock, flip a switch and get pregnant and find a man and then what? Raise our first child when we have spent 20 years becoming rigid and selfish and solipsistic. Mm. I mean, sure, you can do it. Lots of people are doing it. But is this truly Christian? Is this to confess Christ as a woman and as a man? You know, is it Christian for a man to decide that women are too much drama, so they're going to sit in private and look at other nakedness and avoid marriage, avoid carrying the weight of a wife and children. Is that Christian? Well, why is it Christian for a woman to avoid men and just to achieve and achieve and achieve, solve AIDS in Africa, solve, you know, injustice in the court, uh, you know, go do an internship in Washington and run for office, become a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. You know, it just reminds me of Kierkegaard saying that Christianity is supposed to be the most moral wound a man can sustain. Mm-hmm. That's what New Testament Christianity. But he says modern Christians have come up with this idea that we can present Christianity as being everything that you want to do in the flesh, but baptized with the word Christian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about when we have to do the heavy lifting of having people realize that you can't have it both ways. What they really can't have both ways is not a working mother and a good mother. Mm -hmm. What they really can't have is Jesus Christ and cultural acceptance in terms of their sexuality. Men can't have it. Women can't have it. You either are a Christian man or woman, or you're not a Christian. There Mm. is no such thing as Christian discipleship and confession, which doesn't start with our sexuality. Mm. There's no such thing. Everybody might tell you, every book you read, every podcast you listen to might tell you that, but it doesn't exist because all that is is worldliness. And at that point, it is a lie. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just discipleship in that we are choosing this over that. We are choosing truth over a lie. But a Christian ought to be able to, should be able to see that lie and say, no, that's not what God says. I don't care how 
uh, much makeup you put on Bruce Jenner. <laughs> the ugliest and most butch woman in existence is still a better woman than Bruce Jenner, no matter what Time Magazine says about him being woman of the year. Oh my. And that's just that story. I mean, that's old news. I mean, right. today I was right. looking at the news feed about some policewoman that was killed. And I'm thinking, wicked world, mm-hmm. wicked, wicked world. Because even in the news story, they're talking about her pleadings with the man who was killing her. They have a recording of the pleadings. Why is that news? It reminds me of one of the astronautists or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and the shuttle. It seriously blows up in space and she's a mother of children. Oh. Yeah. It, it's oh. like, are you serious? That's what it means to be a Christian today. You can have it all. What about the children? Do they have it all? You know, as even earlier, Tim, when you were talking about women who are, are angry because their husbands are doofuses and worthless and sitting around. Well, the fact of the matter is that even that anger is an expression of what's wired into them as women. Listen, if I can say one thing to men listening, I'm going to tell you that your wife and your children follow your heart. Mm. It's just that simple. God has made the world a patriarchy. And God has given leadership to men. That's in the order of creation. He made Adam first and Eve. You know, you have not cast the vision to your children and your wife of the beauty of femininity and motherhood of the home. You haven't done it. Hmm. It's your fault. You may be a very disciplined. You may not be a lazy dog. You might be a very disciplined engineer, but you have not cast a vision for what is the love of your life. God made you to love femininity and motherhood. Hmm. God made you to not to love pregnancy and children. God made you to love these things. And instead of loving what God made beautiful, you have loved the approval of the world. And that's on you. Mm. I'm not saying that women don't sin, but I'm saying God has made the home to follow the heart of the husband. And I know some husbands are going to be saying right now, no, 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 no. I have done everything I can. I'm no, no, no. My wife is a rebel. No, she torments me. No, my daughters follow her. And again, I'm going to say, okay, those are the exceptions that prove the rule, but don't deny that God has made the home to follow the heart and loves of the husband. That's the whole reason that we baptize families because the father becomes a Christian, the whole family becomes a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, don't we understand federal headship? And so make sure that you call your family to follow you in your loves Mm -hmm. and in what you celebrate and in what gives you joy. You know, no man is a hypocrite in his pleasures, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and if your pleasures are pregnancy and nursing and children and femininity, your kids are going to love what you love. Mm. And if you love the Lord, they're going to love the Lord. We've got one more episode about teenagers that will air next week, and then we are going to begin a series on marriage. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. 